Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a white Bronco on the 91 freeway. And it's pretty good. <laughs> Welcome to episode 195, WrestleMania 12. It's the 12th WrestleMania. Oh, uh, we're a tween. <laughs> about to be real finicky fickle Fink. finkly Finkle. <laughs> yeah. he's here i'm sure he's here oh yeah he's here this was the 12th annual wrestlemania produced by the wwf it would take place on march 31st 1996 from the arrowhead pond of anaheim in anaheim california with an attendance of 18,853 and a buy rate of 290000 Hmm. 80,000, yeah, it's great. I'm trying to remember what the last Mania show was, but I don't think it was 18. Maybe I'm wrong. 11 was in, in Indianapolis. Is that right? I can't remember. Yeah. Google, no Google alert. <laughs> Live Googling on Live air. Google. It was in Connecticut. 15,000 fans. About 16, so. Down from the previous year's attendance of 18,065. But yeah, I mean, Connecticut's a small place. I imagine that uh, most of those 16,000 were yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, you had Lawrence from, Taylor. from, you know, New York and... Um, you had LT and Bam Bam as your headliner. That's so. true. Yeah. That probably would have done better in New York. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. But we're in California. We are. Anaheim in particular. Anaheim... I know of a few things that are in Anaheim. The Angels. That's one. The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, the Magic Kingdom. Oh, is it in Anaheim? Disneyland. Disneyland. Yeah, yep. I didn't realize that it was in Anaheim. For some reason, I thought Anaheim was more north, but I guess it's not. Uh, I no, went it's to... actually, I think, west or east of mm -hmm. los angeles yeah it's a disney when i was a kid disneyland when i was a kid and we were there twice i think i was six and seven and uh that whole area it just seemed like it was one big giant city like it is san francisco and disneyland and knott's berry farms and <laughs> all these other places were just you know a few blocks from each other or a little right oh, those, those, are, those are definitely not a few blocks from each <laughs> other no, no, i just felt that way as a yeah. kid because you hit them all at the same time i did the same thing uh i think probably around the same age like six or seven but i only went to disneyland not at once i know knott's berry farm maybe more than one time. So I want to get back out there. I mean, I've been to California since then, but I haven't been to the places that I was at as a kid. So yeah. I want to get to San Francisco. I want to go back to Disneyland. I want to go to Knott's Berry Farm. I want to take a, a boat ride to Catalina Island. But Do uh, one of those train wine tours through yeah. the Napa Valley. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. Uh, go to Bella, Bella Country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is, isn't Disneyland kind of is it nice or is it kind of trash? Because Disney World is like, 
the big one. Matt would know. Disneyland. I mean, I actually have never been to Disneyland. Oh, yeah. But, but what's the common consensus? I mean, it's the original. So, I mean, it. I mean, it's... It's probably more kept up than it was... I don't know when how it I is went now, back then it was great. Yeah, I mean, I I'm pretty. I mean, it's Disney. They do a great job with their <laughs> yeah, properties, the, the park stuff. Um, so I'm sure that it's it's up to date. And yeah, like, it's not. It doesn't look run down by any means, even yeah. though it's almost. I don't know how old it is. Almost probably seventy years because last year was the fiftieth of Disney World, and um, Disneyland was around for like fifteen to twenty years before that. So. Hmm. Let's see, 1955. Damn. So, yeah, so it's coming up on 70th. Yeah. Wicked. But, yeah, we are in Anaheim, and coincidentally, what I brought with with me today was something that ties into Disneyland. Doritos, oddly enough. How does Doritos tie into Disneyland? Yeah, it's popular... Corn tortilla chip here. An early version of the iconic Doritos corn chip was made in Anaheim. As the story goes, an Anaheim food plant known as Alex Foods made taco shells for Casa de Fritos, a Frito-Lay-sponsored restaurant at Disneyland. A salesman for Alex Foods suggested the Frontierland restaurant uh, cut and fry the leftover tortillas and serve them as a toasted snack. The traveling Frito-Lay executives liked what they saw and tapped Alex Foods to uh, produce a seasoned corn chip for Frito-Lay. Boom. Doritos. Damn, Courtesy of Disney. I never eat Doritos, but they're fucking good. Oh, yeah. They've been a, a favorite forever. I bought Have you ever eaten Cool I've Ranch been... anything else other than a Dorito? I don't think there is Cool Ranch any other flavor. Or any other thing, is there? I mean, you literally just put ranch seasoning on stuff, and mm-hmm. it's technically Cool Ranch. But yeah. like when you think about it, the only thing that's Cool Ranch I mean, I put... is a Dorito. Ranch seasoning on fries. I put ranch seasoning into like burgers before mm-hmm. I grilled them up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to dip stuff in old ranch dip. I'm not really a, a fan of ranch dressing for dipping things in, but like the the actual dip dip stuff. Some like sour make. cream and ranch yeah. dress, uh, ranch. Yeah, that stuff mix. I like. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I just mm. had some of that the other day. These are. Uh, Spicy sweet chili chips are pretty damn tasty. Yeah, I've actually never had any of those. That's why I bought them because they taste kind of like Chinese, either. like Chinese food. The uh, so I'm not a spicy person, so they're not. not, they're it's, not it's not a chip that I'm gonna just be like, yeah, I'm gonna buy these. They're not too spicy at all. The um, it's a gross thing that my dad will do is get regular Doritos. Uh, he only does this like around the holidays, where they like put like one of those mini crock pots of queso like on the counter mm-hmm. and then next to it they're not just regular chips he used puts the nacho cheese. cheese dorito so it's like a double right. it's gnarly double decker cheese uh-huh. dip, man but i always eat uh, at least two or three of them because i'm like all right <laughs> it's here it's one of those you know nostalgia things you grew up on that yeah, yeah i feel yeah, like the nacho cheese dorito kind of went out of style a little bit yeah until taco bell Brought in the Doritos Locos taco thing. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Not that I ever go to Taco Bell, so. I do occasionally when I want a Mexican pizza, and then I get pissed off because they usually don't have the stuff for Mexican pizza still. They're supposed to be bringing it back, is what I heard. Oh, it's been brought back. They just don't know how to keep it in stock. Ah. As you know, you had it on your menu for 40 years, but somehow having it gone for six months makes it to where you all of a sudden can't make them anymore. 
Either that or makes a, you know, makes them sell out. Consistently, like people are like, well, it's not going to be here forever. Yeah. This is why they should just have a Mexican pizza restaurant. <laughs> fuck all your other stuff that nobody wants. People obviously just want the Mexican pizza, so just Taco Bell pizza. Boom. Make Mexican, it happen. Mexican pizza um, taco truck. There you go. You just have, like, chicken, pork, or beef or whatever and make them a little nicer. Be higher quality than Taco Bell. And, I mean, what isn't? Yeah. They have way more flavors of Doritos than I remember. The chewy. <laughs> there was seriously like 12 or 15 different flavors of Doritos on the shelf, which I was kind of surprised by because I didn't realize they had that many. They have like pepper, I know there's crispin peppermint ones. I know there's quite a few. A I mean, bunch of different. Cool Ranch is basically. Flaming hot that... and spicy ones. If I get Doritos, it's Cool Ranch usually. Yep. I did me some Cool Ranch. And these spicy sweet chili. So, hey, thank you, Disney. Thank you, Alex Foods. Thank you, Casa de Fritos, the Frito-Lay restaurant at Disneyland back in the day. Absolutely. You changed the world. No shit. They definitely made somebody a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, a film that came out this uh, the next week, technically, but it's right around the same time as yeah. WrestleMania, Primal Fear. Good movie. Good, good, good movie. Can't even picture that one in my mind. Richard Gere, Edward Norton. It's really the first time you probably would have seen Edward, Ed, Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. yeah. Laura Linney was in it. Oh, I love Laura Linney. She's always great, but... Norton was nominated for his first Oscar for this one for Supporting Actor. Oh, damn. It came out hot. Yeah. Yeah, the movie now itself... he does nothing. He played a, a guy with split personalities that was accused of murdering a priest or something like that yeah and yep. it's a very suspense-filled action-packed wild ride movie yeah it was a a nice a nice time to be richard Gere because it was the hot movie at the moment and yeah edward norton took off from there for a few years and then went full norton and hasn't really been seen since the hulk <laughs> Edward Norton. He's, in, he's in the new Knives Out movie. Oh, really? yeah. That's okay. cool. Yeah, that'll okay, be exciting. He's in Birdman, too. Wow. It's by, directed by Gary Hoblet, who I do not know, but it looks like uh, he did a lot of cop shows Hill Street Blues, NYPD Blue, LA Law. So, you know, it makes sense that he would make a suspense movie where I assume Richard Gere plays a cop or detective. Lawyer. It's, lawyer. A, it's, it's more oh, of a, it's a, oh, okay. it's a courtroom, hmm. courtroom drama, more or less. Uh, and Richard like is the one that's the defense attorney. Yes. Hmm. Frequency. I did see that one. Frequency is such a good movie. <laughs> I don't really remember. I've never seen it uh, in maybe the theater, but I don't do put on a little bit of a run here. Primal Fear, Fallen, and Frequency. Yeah. Like three movies that like a lot of people probably underappreciate oh yeah yeah they're just like solid solid uh solid flicks like fallen is probably my favorite denzel movie that's how much i like fallen i should check out fallen it's got john goodman and donald sutherland in it uh, if you've never seen it it's, and Primal it's great yeah they both sound fun edward norton won best supporting actor at the golden globes for primal fear i don't know who he lost the um, Oscar 2. 97. More live Googling. 
Oh, this is bugging me. I used to be so good at this. Just Were you like an Oscar trivia down. guy? Yeah. I think he lost to Cuba from Jerry right. Maguire. Yeah. Uh, maybe the only good Cuba Gooding Jr. performance. Boys on the side, or boys on the side. Oh, boys, boys in the yeah. hood. Boys in the hood, and then he's plays a small part, but he's he's fine in uh, as good as it gets. Yeah, great movie, but he really fell off hard <laughs> after that. I mean, he snow he had a little comeback with you know being OJ in the oh did he People versus OJ Simpson, but he was his his portrayal of oj was a little different than what i remember <laughs> but i mean that's because maybe he was portraying the oj that the public didn't see where he was just this whiny bitch baby yeah but after 2000 he really went on a tear of doing things that he probably should not have said yes to paychecks a paycheck sometimes <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes sometimes it is but snow dogs <laughs> radio come on everybody should have known better by the time radio came out <laughs> Radio was supposed to get him to that best ask, oh, actor mm-hmm. Oscar, though. Yeah, but instead, help supply one of the best jokes in uh, *Tropic Thunder* <laughs> with, <laughs> with with plenty of fuel, as if it as if his performance was the only one that did you know yes. that made that joke funny. Because uh, plenty of people mm-hmm. have done that. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell, and uh, do you have honor BC? Might actually be uh, mentally handicapped, and <laughs> we got Juliet Lewis. You know, oh, and um, Sean Penn. Another I mean, another performance where it's like, ugh, yeesh. I Am Sam was great. Is it? I love it. <laughs> I never, I've seen clips of it, uh, and it was rough, but maybe in context. It's nah, still I mean, probably better than radio. I Am Sam <laughs> is what radio wanted to be because it was nominated for all the awards. I mean, Sean Penn is probably like a method guy, so just imagine after the camera cuts. Yep. Yeesh. <laughs> <laughs> well, one other note. A couple days, here in a couple days, guys. Happy New Year's. Oh, this is right in between between shows. Right. Uh, eat your black-eyed peas. Eat them, don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. No, definitely don't listen to them. Maybe, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe have a resolution. That's right. It's up to you. Pop some champagne. Mm-hmm. It's not really a pop. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, but we get it. We get, what you're going, we get what you're going for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, get yourself some Doritos to help celebrate the occasion. Soak up all that booze. Happy New Year! Here's to 2023. So 2022 has been better. interesting. It's been better than the last couple. <laughs> better than the last couple. <laughs> but, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, you gotta take your wins where you can. That's right. Well, let's see if we can get some wins watching this WrestleMania 12. This is the first WrestleMania where everything is a DQ or countout. Spoilers. I'm just kidding. That would be rough. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be doing that on WrestleMania. It was. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. We get narration over shots of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. It is the dream of the challenger to become champion. The crowning achievement in a lifetime of yearning. It is the dream of the champion to aspire to excellence. His legacy is indeniably etched in the annals of time. The eight, the heartbreak kid is a maverick who spits in the face of adversity, while the hitman is a mighty ring general who stands in defiance of defeat. Two men will endure a grueling hour of guts and athleticism, with only one realizing their quest. 
while the other will breathe loneliness. Who will be stripped of their dream? I mean, this is a main event that is worthy of about, you know, 2,500 more uh, uh, asses and seats, I'd say, <laughs> compared to last year. Uh, at least, I mean, the two biggest stars in the company. Yes. Yeah. The two biggest stars in the company, not just somebody uh, who played football coming in to say, hey, look at me. Mm-hmm, and a uh, guy that you never really booked incredibly strong in the first place. Yes. <laughs> now. Sean and Brett, this is the, I mean, I know they fought before, but this is the, the battle of a lifetime, the, the night of nights for the both of them. This is, this is it. This is what it all comes down to. This is what they've been waiting for. This is more than the Survivor Series when it was champion versus champion. This is the boyhood dream. This is a match that you keep separated and, uh, for an extended amount of time while Diesel fights everybody too much <laughs> because that's the smarter thing to do. Yep. We then get a 20th Century Fox style logo with animated helicopters flying all around it before Vince McMahon welcomes everyone where he's joined by Jerry the King Lawler for commentary. They discuss Undertaker and Diesel matching up with the King saying they are dangerously close to Forest Lawn Cemetery which could be Taker's final resting place. The... I mean, this is another big match, too. He came out of the damn, from out underneath the canvas and just popped up. So, you know, a decent build. Vince then starts to talk about some other matches when music hits. So we head to our first match. Here we go. Vader, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, and Owen Hart with Jim Cornette versus Yokozuna, Ahmed Johnson, and Jake the Snake Roberts with Mr. Fuji. And if Yoko's team wins, he would get five minutes alone in the ring with Corny. Now that's wrestling. Yankee. We get footage of Zuna turning on his former Camp Cornette members from Raw, followed by Yoko Zuna bonsai dropping a dummy that was supposed to look like Cornette. There's plenty of jokes there, guys. Yep. <laughs> if you remember from the last WWF pay-per-view that we watched, it was actually set up to be Yokozuna versus Vader. Vader. But basically Vince realized that those two guys probably aren't going to put on the greatest match against each other. No, Yoko can't move like he used to. Never. And also... Vader can probably lift him either. And then combine that with that... One of the matches was going 60 minutes, so he needed to put... He tried to get everybody as big of a payday as possible. He's like, we'll make it a six-man tag. It's a smart thing to do. If you're going to have a six-man tag, might as well be the first match. And you got some guys, some big, impressive gentlemen in here, and Owen Hart to bump for everyone. Yep. Because Jake ain't doing it. (laughs) Did you guys notice the canvas on the ring? I don't remember. The WWF logo Uh, was on it. Okay. This is actually the only time in pay-per-view history, WWF pay-per-view history, that they would have the logo in the middle of the ring. Oh, instead of, yeah. Okay. Is it still the the light blue that looks gray? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to flip back and look again, because, yeah, I don't remember seeing that, but it's, it's been a little while. It's better not to have. Well, I say that, but I really love the New Japan ring. 
even then it has like ads in it but i think that's just like a thing where it's like well i like this product a lot so it's just like when you see it it just gives you some warm fuzzies so as soon as yoko gets in the ring he and vader start throwing punches so a brawl erupts between all six men owen and bulldog get thrown from the ring leaving the mastodon alone only to be clotheslined by zuna over to the floor Ahmed then flies over the ropes with a Pescado onto Vader, but this allows Hart and Davy Boy to attack him from behind, bringing Jake to the floor to make the save. Vader makes it back into the ring for the two giants to face off again with right hands, when Owen makes a blind tag and drop kicks Yokozuna from behind. Hart then runs into a chop before being tossed into a corner, but Bulldog yanks Owen out to save him from the splash. Hart and Davy Boy begin to double-team Yoko, using ref distractions to maintain control, when Vader starts with the stiff shots in the corner, only for Zuna to duck one and lay out the Mastodon with a Uranagi. Yoko Zuna then crawls to the corner for the hot tag, bringing Johnson in to clean house with right hands to everyone, power slammed to Bulldog when Vader would close lining from behind and the Mastodon would telegraph a back body drop. So Ahmed tries for a sunset flip, only for Vader to attempt a butt splash. But Johnson moves in time to deliver a leaping clothesline. Cornette then jumps on the apron to distract the ref, allowing his team to triple team Ahmed in the corner. And Davy Boy looks to continue the punishment, but Johnson just no-sells and body slams the Bulldog down before attempting a Pearl River plunge. But Owen leaps off the top rope with a missile dropkick to make the save. Hart is working over Ahmed with elbows, right hands, and an enziguri. Vader does the same with a splash and an avalanche splash. Owen comes back in with a rake of the eyes and goes for a clothesline that ends up doing nothing. So he tries again, only to be clotheslined down by Johnson allowing him to make the corner to tag in Roberts. DDT. And the snake nails several jabs and a short arm clothesline to Hart. He calls for the DDT, but Owen hangs onto the ropes to block. Jake then tosses Hart to the corner and charges in after him, only to receive a knee to the face, allowing Davy Boy to come in with stomps on Robert. Vader returns to hit some stiff shots, a short arm clothesline, a corner splash, and a clothesline. Owen with a top rope elbow drop before locking on a submission hold momentarily. When Bulldog comes in to deliver a running power slam for the pin, and no, no the snake kicks out. Jake Snakes don't have legs. <laughs> Jake receives another splash from the Mastodon for a two count. Davy Boy goes for a leg drop that Roberts avoids and makes the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Yokozuna with right hands to Vader, pummeling down to the mat before hitting a running corner splash. Hart and Bulldog then join the fray, only to be clotheslined and double noggin knocked, followed by a Samoan drop on Davy Boy. Yoko tags the snake back in who again looks to DDT Owen, only for Bulldog to make the save. Ahmed then jumps in the ring to knock Davy Boy out to the floor, following out to Brawl, 
while Jake has recovered and finally delivers the DDT. Finally. You gotta tease it, brother. But the ref doesn't make the count as he is distracted by the brawling on the outside. And Jim Cornette on the, doing his job. He jumps in the ring and looks to nail a racket shot to Roberts. But the snake sees him in time to block. Now Jake looks to hit a DDT on Corny. But Roberts feels the Mastodon breathing down his neck, so he turns. Only for Vader to nail an avalanche splash and a Vader bomb. For the pin and the win. Jake. Everybody got to do a little bit of something. Yep. And it was put together well enough for the crowd to be into it. But... And I feel like Vader and Yokozuna will probably still match off against each other in a singles match at some point. Just not at WrestleMania. Yeah, it's kind of like, hmm, we'll probably save this for a smaller show that might help the sales of that smaller show. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if it's on a In Your House in It's definitely a uh, In Your House kind of match. Foreshadowing. <laughs> we then go to some classic footage of Roddy Piper with Michael Cole narration. Um, see, I'm glad to hear that because as I was listening to that, I kept thinking... This has to be Michael Cole. I'm pretty sure this is Michael Cole, but he just sounds so young and not Michael Cole-ish that I wasn't for sure if it was Michael Cole. It sounds a little less like the robot Michael Cole we yeah. have today. You could have told me he's a Cylon and be like, yes, you're probably right. <laughs> so at the time of WrestleMania 12, Cole was not actually part of the company. This was a completely a redub oh. uh, that is on the network at this point. Oh. Well... Hmm. Never mind then. Maybe he just tried to sound younger. I mean, I mean it, it, may, it, it may have been recorded a long time ago. I was hoping to hear that this is what made them hire him because his voice sounded so fitting. Yeah, this could have been from the beginning of the network or something. Yeah. Piper's power as president would arouse gold dust. So the golden one would dedicate poems and suggestively play some bagpipes. He's so bizarre. <laughs> Roddy would try to ignore it all, but Goldust would just slap him in the ring. So Piper had no choice but to return the favor and challenge the Golden One to a fight, saying he would make a man out of him. Mm-hmm. And we go to Vincent Lawler talking about the match to come before showing us Marlena in the back, watching with champagne on ice. And we go to our second match. Roddy. Roddy Piper. Versus Goldust in a Hollywood backlot brawl. I mean, hey, it's probably going to be better than the 18-wheeler ring a bell thing. Probably. <laughs> Whatever that was called. I'm sure they had a silly name for that one, too. King, King of the, the Road. Road. King of the Road. Damn. At least that's not a silly name. It's a great name for it. So the Golden One was originally supposed to face Razor Ramon. In a Miami street fight. But the bad guy had given his notice, Uh-oh. followed by being suspended for failing a drug test. Uh-huh. And oh, what a ride he would be on from there. And this match, or at least this part of it, is was filmed a few days earlier. So another cinematic match? Yeah, I mean... It's cinematic, and they do some intelligent things with it, as we'll come to see throughout the show. So Roddy is waiting for Goldust with baseball bat in hand. 
when the Golden One would arrive in a gold Cadillac. And there are people looking on from the buildings surrounding the area when Piper would grab a fire hose and start spraying the car down before smashing the windows with the bat. Goldust would escape out the passenger side door, but Roddy would catch up with him to choke him with the bat. And Piper smashes the golden one into a catering table that happens to be sitting there. Yeah, that was very, I've got a kick out of that. Like, reading sandwiches outside. <laughs> before you get your snack on before we, uh, before we sweat it out. Before slamming gold dust into some dumpsters and dumping trash cans onto him. I love that the trash can is just full of shredded paper. They shredded just that day. It was not, was, uh, it was um, uh, work trash, not shoot trash. Roddy grabs the fire hose again and sprays the golden one down. Smashes his head against the hood of the car before body slamming him onto the hood as well. And I bet that fire hose kind of hurt. That was a lot of water. There's a few things in this match that I'm just like, uh. Yeah. Piper climbs onto the car hood as well for them to deliver a falling fist, which ended up breaking Roddy's hand Oof. in the process. See, there was one punch in this match. I can't remember if it was in this beginning part or uh, in, I think it, in a later on, but yeah, he he punches Goldust in the face, and it's just like this yeah. smack. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was where he busted his hand. Yeah, it was. It was. It might have been right before that. Cause he was giving him <laughs> some uh, some hard rights before then, and then it might have caught the car. But I thought Goldust was bleeding at first. And I was like, "Oh no, that's uh, Piper's hand." Goldust nails a low blow before tossing Piper into a dumpster and jumping back into his car, where he tries to run Roddy over, but Piper jumps onto the hood at the last second. Roddy finally falls off, so the Golden One takes off, leaving the back lot. So Piper jumps in his white Ford Bronco hmm. to give chase. Maybe we'll catch up with them later in the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, uh, it was pretty pretty wild. I was kind of like oh, amazed and like weirded out all at the same time. Yeah, it's like for what it is. Like I don't necessarily uh, love this kind of thing um, in wrestling, but this is done better than a lot of stuff we've seen. Before and since, yeah. as far as... Uh, They're not rolling around in the back of a truck, throwing hay at each other. They're swinging bats, breaking glass, punching cars, punching each other in the face, bleeding. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an actual... It back, feels more like a fight and less... Back out, back lot brawl. Yeah. It feels less uh, cinematic than plenty of things they've done yes. uh, since then. This feels it's more like cinematic a with a, a very extreme touch of reality to it of either i'm pissed at you right now so i'm actually going to take my frustration or hey brother let's just do this yeah i mean piper's piper's game we know piper's <laughs> game and dustin uh he can he can handle himself yeah. big texas boy that's right so we go to our third match stone cold steve austin with the million dollar man ted dibiase versus savio vega it's official Stone one, stone one. The stone, the stone, the stone one. cold one has arrived. Yep, he is. Uh, you know, it's he's like no the, longer a master of the ring. That's right. Feels good. It's like ah, cool. Yeah, we actually get to hear his name now. He's not just the ringmaster, even though he could have been the ringmaster Steve Austin. Still, I'm happy we've got the Steve Austin name back on display and officially with the Stone Cold 
moniker. Mm-hmm. Yep. And bringing him in with Ted DiBiase is a nice way to nice way to bring him in before he moves on to bigger and better things. So Doc Hendricks stops Savio before his entrance for an interview, where he shows footage of Austin avoiding being tagged in. So Vega hits Stone Cold, which brings Austin in off the top rope with a double axe handle to cost Savio the match. And Vega would try to get some revenge in a different match, only for Stone Cold to lock on the million dollar dream to put Savio to sleep. So a little backstory here. The reason in that first clip that we saw them teaming up was that Billy Gunn had gotten injured. So they had to vacate the tag team championships. And there was a tag team tournament where Vega actually teamed up with Razor Ramon in the first round. Mm. But then that suspension came through. So they had a random drawing that's, and Stone Cold was named Savio's new partner. So you got the heel and a face tag team. I mean, considering how convoluted that all is, it was the probably the smart thing to do at the time. WWF's own lethal lottery. <laughs> we go back to Doc and he asks if Vega has an answer for the million dollar dream. But he doesn't answer that question. Instead, saying he got the match he wants and tells Austin to be ready for the fight of his life. So as soon as Savio rolls into the ring, Stone Cold attacks. But Vega responds with right hands and a side slam of his own. And they brawl their way to the floor where Savio nails some chops, rams Austin into the apron before rolling back into the ring. Vega then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Fang McFreeze to kick him away and take control by throwing Savio shoulder first into the ring post. Posted Fang McFreeze? That was a potential. That was a potential name. For Austin? For Austin. Fang McFreeze. He must have been like, that doesn't work for me, brother. (laughs) Oh, wait. I said it wrong. It was Fang McFrost. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Neither one. They're like... But there was also Chili McFreeze. I've I've heard Chili McFreeze. Those are the two that I wrote down. (laughs) Chili McFreeze just sounds like a penguin that sells ice cream. (sighs) Well, you know. He's probably like, "Mm, Mm, mm, let's try again. Frosty the Fang, man. What could have been? Yep. So Austin with some double axes and stomps for a two count before focusing on the arm, which Vega escapes to deliver a roundhouse kick to take Stone Cold down for a near fall. Vince then gets a phone call from Roddy Piper, saying he's chasing Goldust and that he's not seeing nothing yet. And he's, yeah, I love that he's on the phone from the White Bronco, you know. And you can hear police sirens in the background, but the call gets disconnected. Mm-hmm cell service back in the day just it wasn't that great so while that's happening austin sends savio into the ring post shoulder first again to go back to work on the arm and roddy calls back in to say he will chase gold dust all the way to tijuana if he has to because he's going to make a man out of him before the call gets disconnected once more and again i say kiki Mm-hmm. Call him a fruitcake. It's <laughs> like, I haven't heard that in a long time. It's probably a good thing. Stone Cold has dropped a second rope elbow for a two count, but then misses a clothesline. So Vega hits a crossbody for a near fall. Austin answers with a Thez press and right hands, but Savio rolls him over for the two to start trading pin attempts 
that all get too. It's funny that I get excited for a Thez press. I just, yeah, anytime I catch one, I'm like, ah, oh, it's nice. Vince now says we have aerial footage of the chase. They got the chopper. So we get split screen where we see Piper's white Bronco going down the highway with police cars giving chase. Vega is sent to the corner with Stone Cold charging into another roundhouse kick, followed by Savio coming off the second rope with a splash, only for Austin to get his knees up. Stone Cold goes to pick Vega up, but he's rolled up for a near fall. But Austin gets back to his feet to body slam Savio and head to the top rope, coming off only to crash into Vega's boot. Now both make it back to their feet at the same time, and they start trading right hands. When Savio would gain the advantage with a chop, a back body drop, and multiple clotheslines. Vega would then go for a spinning heel kick, but Stone Cold ducks, sending Savio crashing into the ref. Ref bump! DiBiase then places the million dollar belt in the ring, before going to distract Vega to no avail, as he turns to kick Austin away. Looks to make a cover, but he realizes the ref is still out. So Savio goes to check on Tim White, while the million dollar man jumps on the apron to distract again, allowing Stone Cold to grab the million dollar belt to clock Vega with. What's cool about the million dollar belt is that it looks so much heavier than the regular belts. Yes. So it's like, yeah, dude, this is the one to hit people with. Yep. It's, it's solid gold, baby. Mm -hmm. It's all them jewels. Austin uses the belt one more time before putting Savio in a chokehold, not the million dollar dream as Lawler calls it, <laughs> all while DiBiase is trying to wake the ref up with a coke to the face. <laughs> and I mean a can, yeah, not yeah. the drug. Yeah, not, no. not that type of ref bump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I assume this is before DiBiase found God. Tim White finally crawls over to check on Vega, raising his arm three times with no response, making Stone Cold the winner. Post-match, Austin refuses to release the choke, while the Million Dollar Man is taunting Savio until more officials arrive to clear the ring. Some Taz vibes. A little bit. The Stone Cold Maniac. Vincent sends it back to more footage of Roddy and his Bronco, even saying the footage looks awfully familiar yeah it bit. is the it is the actual footage from oj, OJ from the uh you know old oj debacle yes. <laughs> this is just one way to put it yes it is. uh yeah god i would kill for a white bronco because that same year it would be such a cool car to have i'm sure that they sell for more just yeah. because there's freaks like me that would be like i would love to drive one i like your word choice there <laughs> Be cool. I'd kill for a white Bronco. Yeah, that's... that's and he did. Ooh, yeah. I, yeah. For the record, I would not kill for a white Bronco. <laughs> oh, we know which line to edit off that. <laughs> Mr. Perfect is now in the locker room with Diesel. And he shows the footage of Big Daddy Cool being dragged under the ring by The Undertaker from in your house. And then on Raw, the lights would start flickering when Diesel heads to the ring to confront the dead man, only for him to not be there when the lights would come back on. Playing mind games with the big man. Witchcraft. The next week on Raw, Big Daddy Cool sees himself inside of a casket. 
Like he opens up a casket and there's a mm-hmm. dummy that looks is, yeah. Anytime like Diesel, anytime Taker did that, it was always creepy to me because oftentimes they look very much like the person that they were supposed to be replicating. I can't remember exactly what it looked like, but in my head, I imagined that they just have somebody else that like is a body double for them standing up, and they actually put them in the cat, the actual these like. Kevin Nash in the casket and then a body double behind him because then you don't see his face. Remember he did one years later with uh, Randy Orton and Bob Orton. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was creepy just because it looked like them looking at them de- their their dead selves in caskets. Yep. Old handsy, handsome Randy and yep. um, uh, large Bob. <laughs> <laughs> we go back to Perfect who asks Diesel how it affects him. And he just says that he doesn't sweat the little or big things before calling Taker a big obstacle and saying, Big Daddy takes cool of you. Ugh. Um, sure. Diesel then turns his attention to Shawn Michaels, saying he's coming for him next before making some weird noises as Perfect sends it back to Vince. What kind of noises did he make? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and McMahon sends it to more footage of the Bronco chase, but it disappears just as quickly. Yeah, so it, was, like... it was almost like it was a production error, not supposed to be there. <laughs> oh yeah, it almost feels like they're trying to spam it a little too much so you won't forget, but it's like, no one's going to forget. Yeah. There was uh, blood, which you don't see very often, and the guy got hit by a car, you know. And, if they're and it's Roddy the, Piper. If they're going with the OJ footage, I mean... It's perfect. Yeah, I wonder how... Interrupt everything with constant footage of the chase, because that's how it was. <laughs> yeah, I should know the the date of the chase from that 30 for 30, but I can't think of it. Uh, July 6th? And uh, this show is... 1994, is that right? I can't remember. Is it... This show is April or... March 31st. March, March 31st, 96. October 3rd, 95. Okay. So it's been like six months-ish. Yeah, something like that. We then go to our fourth match. Hunter Hurst Helmsley with Sable versus the Ultimate Warrior. And we haven't seen the Ultimate Warrior since SummerSlam 92, episode 74. Wow. Oh, that Jerry Waller says that he heard the Ultimate Warrior is 400 pounds and has shaved his head. It's like, (laughs) I don't know why they thought that would be a funny thing to say. But I got a kick out of it. But of course he's proven wrong. Absolutely. When the warrior arrives to pyro shaped like his face paint. Which was kind of cool. Yeah, it's totally cool. But it's really like, I know the warrior. We'll just save it for now. (laughs) So Ultimate Warrior runs to the ring. Shakes the ropes. Only for Triple H to jump the warrior with right hands, kicks, and a pedigree. The Ultimate Warrior immediately no-sells it. Hunter goes for more right hands, but Warrior begins to ultimate up and nails several clotheslines, leaping shoulder tackle, a press slam, and a splash for the pin and the win. It looks like he's really trying to see if he can get him Hogan again. It didn't work the first time. Will it work (laughs) the second? Ultimate Warrior's jacket, I was like, did Rob Liefeld draw that? <laughs> you see the back of it, it's like a drawing of Ultimate Warrior, and for your comic book fans, it looks similar to the Rob Liefeld. Are you saying style. there was no feet? 
I don't know if there was feet. There might have been no feet, but there was plenty of muscles. So this was actually Triple H's first loss in the WWF. And his finisher was no, 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 sold. As was everything else. (laughs) Hey, he didn't get the drop on him. But, I mean, that's their smart thing to do with the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, yeah. And he's also a heel. If you want some offense, yes. If you want anything at all. We go backstage, and Todd Pettengill is there with wild man Mark Marrow. <gasps> I know. Sable somehow still got on the show before you. We miss Johnny. Oh, he, he, he misses Johnny, too. <laughs> Even though Todd says Morrow. Yep. He, he says Morrow. Oh, yeah. But Mark says... I have arrived. I have arrived. And that he has waited five long years to come to the WWF. I'm like... Why, why, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? <laughs> I, mean, I think he was doing fine over on the other side. Yeah. He did a, a whole lot better on the other side. Yeah. Pettengill then asks him about potential opponents. And Meryl's tells him to look into his eyes. And see the wildness in his soul. When Helmsley would accidentally bump into Mark while arguing with Sable. Because Triple H, like, basically blaming Sable for his loss as they're walking along. Marrow takes exception and begins to brawl with Triple H. Slamming themselves into a garage door and scuffle on the floor until officials would tear them apart. This seems very similar to the last... Year of Mark Marrow in WCW. Yep. Heel, lady involved, blah, blah, blah. You guys get it. <laughs> Unfortunately, WCW had the upper hand in the storyline because Mark Marrow as Mark Marrow is not, not believable. Not over. Mark Marrow as a Little Richard wannabe totally works, but he is. One of the smartest things that WCW ever did. They actually trademarked the Johnny B. Bad character because Vince wanted Johnny B. Bad Bad. for good reason, Mm -hmm. but it was trademarked, so they had to do something else. They had to do something else. It's like, well, then you don't even want then you don't even want him or need him at that point. God, I feel so. I mean, he's not the world's greatest wrestler, but he was good at that character, and it's such a bummer that he didn't get to you know finish out his run in WCS. He is not intimidating. He is not. Which is funny that he's Main not intimidating because he's a big guy. Yeah. yeah. This, this was the... I remember watching WrestleMania 12 when it was first airing and thinking... Fuck. Wow, this is <laughs> going to be bad because he... Bad with, he's one, not Johnny. with one D, not two. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's not Johnny and he unfortunately will never get anywhere near where he was. Uh-huh. Marco. Marco. Oh, no. <laughs> We get some more Bronco footage before we go to our fifth match. Diesel versus Undertaker with Paul Bearer. And the two men start trading strikes when a knee to the gut from Big Daddy Cool would put him in control, whipping the dead man to the corner, following in with a clothesline. Diesel tries it again, but only for Taker to get a boot up and lay out Big Daddy Cool with a clothesline of his own. But he then misses an elbow drop, allowing Diesel to clothesline him out to the floor. But Undertaker lands on his feet, as he always does. And then the Undertaker drags Big Daddy Cool to the floor, where they trade strikes again, 
Diesel attempts to slam the dead man's head into the still steps, only for it to be blocked and reversed. Reversed, reversed. They roll back into the ring where Big Daddy Cool telegraphs a black body drop, allowing Taker to attempt a tombstone, only for Diesel to escape out the back. So Undertaker starts to run the ropes and hit a crossbody for a two count. The dead man grabs the arm of Big Daddy Cool and heads upstairs for old school. Or as it was known back then, now. (laughs) Before going for another crossbody, which Diesel ducks, sending Taker tumbling out to the apron. Where Big Daddy Cool looks to nail some forearms, Undertaker drops Diesel throat first across the ropes. Back in the ring, the dead man with some right hands that send Big Daddy Cool tumbling out over to the floor, and he falls out to ram Diesel into the ring post. Posted. Before grabbing a chair, but Big Daddy Cool ducks the shot, allowing him to toss Taker into the guardrail. Diesel continues the punishment by ramming Undertaker into the ring post multiple times. Posted. Before they head back into the ring, where Big Daddy Cool delivers a big boot, a side slam, snake eyes, and a body guillotine across the ropes. Taker, you know, really giving a little bit to Big Daddy Cool. They're both big men. Some big power moves all in a row. He continues with knees to the gut in the corner, some forearms, before charging into an elbow. The two men then start trading strikes once more when they hit each other with a big boot for a double KO. Double big boot. Big Daddy Cool's up first, and he applies a bear hug, which the dead man escapes with a clap of the ears, followed by a back suplex. Taker drops an elbow and heads up top for a flying clothesline for a near fall, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Diesel to capitalize with a jackknife powerbomb, only to not make a cover. Tisk tisk tisk. He's like, he probably just assumed you need more to put away a dead man. Yeah, Big Daddy cocky, apparently. Mm-hmm. Big Daddy Cool waits for him to rise, hits a second jackknife, but again doesn't cover. So Undertaker grabs him by the throat. Once he does, go for the cover. Diesel keeps escaping momentarily with right hands, but the dead man continues to grab him by the throat. So Big Daddy Cool ends up escaping with a back sloopex. They begin to trade strikes once more, only for Taker to be sent to the ropes, coming back with a leaping clothesline, following up with a choke slam and a tombstone for the pin and the win. This would make Undertaker 5-0 and zero at WrestleMania. Five time, five time, five time, five time, five time WrestleMania champ. We then go backstage, and Pettengill is in security, where he's watching monitors so we can see Goldust and Piper's cars may have made it to the arena. They're back from their joyride. Marlena has gathered the Golden One, and they make their way to the ring with Roddy giving chase. So we go to our second match continued. It has to end sometime. Roddy, Roddy Piper versus Goldust. Part two. In a Hollywood backlot brawl. That ends in the ring. The arena. Yeah. <laughs> they trade punches until the Golden One attacks Roddy's leg before setting up for a pile driver. 
but it's just so he can grab Piper's ass. Roddy breaks free, but the Golden One just attacks the leg again to regain control. Goldust then rips Piper's shirt off and uses it to choke Roddy, before dragging him to the corner to wrap Piper's leg around the ring post. The Golden One is working over Roddy with right hands before heading up top, but Piper shakes the ropes to cause Goldust to crotch himself. And Roddy looks to take advantage, only to receive several headbutts and a golden kiss, which just infuriates Piper. And Goldust looks to stay on the attack, but Roddy begins to just no-sell everything, delivering a flurry of punches before grabbing the golden one by the Oscar and delivering a headbutt <laughs> to his golden globes. I was wondering if you are going to do Oscars, because in my notes, when he got crotched, I wrote his pair of Oscars. <laughs> Piper then starts spanking Goldust and ripping off his bodysuit to reveal women's lingerie. Of course. Marty's concerned. Roddy then returns the kiss before dragging him around the ring while Marlena has made her way out with a robe. And the Golden One escapes to the floor and takes off to the back. And Piper's music starts playing, so I guess he's the winner? Yeah, I mean, the other guy, I guess, just gave up. This was maybe a way to look at it, because you can't have a count-out for a match that doesn't start in the ring. But, you know, it's mostly just a way for Piper to get some WrestleMania glory and Goldust to not get take a pin. Yeah. We get it. It was fun. So was this match the inspiration for future bra and panty matches that we would have to... I think through? Sable was probably... Yeah, the inspiration. Who <laughs> that she debuts? Sable and Sunny are probably more of the inspiration for that. Yeah. But this would be Piper's last appearance in the WWF until 2003. Oh, Damn. But he might show up someplace else. I mean, you know, Lord willing. We get Vincent Lawler previewing our main event, and the King asks how it could follow what we just saw. Before McMahon sends us to a video package with more Michael Cole dubbed in narration. Highlights of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, including the Heartbreak Kid training in San Antonio with Jose Lothario, his trainer, and Stu Hart training his son in the dungeon. We get Shawn in his locker room talking to the camera saying everyone knows the story. Now it's time for the final chapter. Brett says it's do or die, and we will find out how good Michaels is. Because everyone knows how good the hitman is. It's pretty funny, and he's like, the final chapter. And it's like, spoke a little soon. We all know the final chapter. It's one of the most, uh, yeah. But hey, I didn't, you know, that wasn't planned. Was it? I mean, it wasn't planned like that. (laughs) So back in the ring, Howard Finkel is in the ring, and he welcomes Gorilla Monsoon back as president of the WWF. How about that? How convenient that Piper's leaving and Gorilla's, right? I mean, he just stripped an opponent in the ring and grabbed him by his Oscars, so maybe he's being forced to take a a break. It's a bit of an HR issue. Perfect time for Gorilla. We head to our sixth match. The Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels with Jose Lothario. Versus Brett, the Hitman Hart, for the WWF Championship in a 60-minute 
Iron Man match. Quick question mm-hmm. that I should have asked earlier. Did Jose Lothario actually train Shawn Michaels? Yes. He's a real person. I know he's a real person. <laughs> I was just making sure that he actually trained him or if they were just trying to add that. Because, you know, not a lot of people would have known who trained Shawn Michaels probably back then. Right. Now we have they, the internet. Yeah, they, they did, like, they did vignettes enough vignettes that... Yeah, yeah, kinda... until they like lead up, I'd imagine. Yeah. But nobody knew that during the time of the Rockers, I'd imagine. Oh, probably not. Yeah. They didn't need him to be part of the story. Yeah, no. not at all. So HBK's music hits, and out walks Lothario, who then points to the ceiling, where we see Sean in the rafters, and he starts to ride a zip line down to the crowd. Which everybody has seen over the last 26 years, because it is one of the most broadcast entrances yeah. in wrestling history, I think. It's uh, iconic. iconic. There we are. That's the word. Whatever happened to the Iconics. <laughs> I know I think what Peyton Royce is pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I thought one of them. They was. went to like Impact or something. Right. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. And one of them um, is just living the perfect 10 life or whatever. Earl Hebner, the ref, explains the rules of the match. They wrestle for 60 minutes. Man who scores the most decisions wins the match. Pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Brett then rolls out of the ring to give his sunglasses to a young fan. Which happens to be his son, Blade. Yeah, babyface shit. That's rude. Actually, your son has enough of your glasses at home, Brett. You could have given it to some other kid there. Your son, Blade, would have understood. <laughs> trying to tug at the heartstrings. The match gets going with several lockups into mat wrestling, when they trade takedowns, headlocks, and arm bars. And was it just me? But was the ring sounding really hollow, like when they're bumping on it? I mean, just a little, a little louder, a little more. Or it was, it was like the because like we like know a, we like know a, WWF mics their mics the ring yeah, to yeah. like make the bump sound more, but it just it sounded ho- more hollow huh. during at least during Never. this match. More like hitting a tennis ball or something, kind of sound. Maybe it was just me. I do not remember, but I, I do believe. Don't remember either. About ten minutes in now, Hitman's delivering right hands and shoulders in the corner when Michaels reverses to return the favor. Hart reverses a whip attempt, but HBK looks to leap up and over a charging Brett, only to get caught, so he transitions into a head scissors that sends the Hitman out to the floor. Back in the ring, Sean with a fireman's carry takedown, but Hart recovers to toss Michaels over the ropes, but he skins the cat and comes back in to lock on an armbar. And Vince McMahon, maybe with some of the best insight on commentary I've ever heard from, Sean is more instinct, and Brett is more strategy. It's like, Vince, it's not just what a maneuver. It's it's pretty nice. (laughs) That's actually some insight. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Jerry Lawler also had this very fun dig at uh, a couple of WWF stars of the past, and says that we could have a Jurassic Park match between uh, the Huckster and Nacho Man. Which I think was actually a dark match on the free-for-all. Did they have the Huckster versus the Nacho Man? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh my god, why is that out on tape? Because they probably get sued under the sun? Eh, I mean, hey, you got money. That's incredibly petty and lame, but uh, I would love to see it. I'd pay $60 for a pay-per-view just to watch that match. <laughs> you know you would not. 
mean, we were paying fifty bucks back then already, so another ten bucks just to see the two. But it was it was on the stuff. it was on the free for all, so it was free. True. That's got to be on the internet. And billionaire Ted was the special guest referee. Oh my God! Who won? It was a no contest. Yeah. <laughs> just to pose off, brother. There's another joke in there. It didn't play. It didn't take place at the Arrowhead Pond. It had been re- pre-recorded elsewhere, and it ended in a no contest when both competitors, along with Billionaire Ted, just expired in the ring. <laughs> Comedy, awesome. So back to our match. Brett escapes by sending HBK to the ropes, nailing a knee to the gut to gain the advantage momentarily with a headlock, only for Sean to use a chin breaker to escape. More arm bars and headlocks shared between the two when the hitman would catch a leapfrogging Michaels to hit a spine buster and immediately try for the sharpshooter, only for HBK to make the ropes. Hart then clotheslines Sean out to the floor and he follows out, but his attack is reversed and Brett is shoved into the ring post and lands in the timekeeper's lap, which I think was Tony Schimmel, which we, we might get to know a little bit better later on. Michaels then goes for some sweet chin music, but Brett moves in time, leaving a laid out timekeeper on the floor with 45 minutes left on the clock. That um, was a pretty sick, pretty sick maneuver. The Brett getting out of the way and the timekeeper really took it pretty hard. They make their way back into the ring for more mat wrestling as the hitman locks on a headlock giving officials plenty of time to get the timekeeper on a stretcher to the back. My thought was no, uh, you don't get like a like DQ fall for assaulting the a, an official. That was my first thought. And I was like, I guess, yeah. I guess not. I mean, it wasn't intentional. That's true. But, you know, it would all, uh, there'd be some animosity. Because I don't know, like, Shawn Michaels, how healy is he at the moment? Uh, not Neither neither one of them were heels. Yeah, real heels. And Sean got the bigger pop at the beginning of the match because, well, he's hot and flashy, swinging from the rafters, baby. Mm -hmm. The Hartford kid escapes and nails a clothesline, only for Hart to return the favor to go back to the headlock. Again, Sean escapes and goes for an Okada roll, only for Brett to hold onto the ropes. So Michaels hits a drop kick and an arm drag to start working the arm and shoulders with 40 minutes remaining. Hitman makes it to the corner to escape with several elbows and uppercuts, but HBK comes right back to reverse a whip to send Brett shoulder first into the ring post. Posted. Sean with the shoulder breaker, a second rope double axe handle, a hammerlock slam, and rammed into several turnbuckles shoulder first to keep up the attack. Love the limb work. 35 minutes remain when Michaels hits an arm breaker DDT before locking on a cross arm breaker, which the hitman escapes by stomping on the heartbreak kid's head. Sean comes right back with a shoulder tackle and he goes into an arm lock, with Hart escaping this time with a hot shot across the second rope. Brett then catapults Michaels into the ring post for a two count, goes for a turnbuckle smash only for HBK to block and reverse, following up by charging into a corner with a crossbody. But the hitman moves in time, leaving Sean prone across the top rope. So Hart delivers several boots, an inverted atomic drop, and a clothesline for a near fall. 
following up with a bulldog and heading up top, only for Michaels to meet him there. Now Brett fends off HBK, allowing him to nail a top rope face buster at the 30 minute mark, which ends up taking down the ref as well. Ref bump. And the hitman slaps Hebner to wake him up. <laughs> but that just causes him to walk into a power slam by Sean for a two count. Michaels then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Hart to hit a pile driver Oof. for a near fall. How to kick out of the pile driver? Back and forth. And back I love forth. Uh, Jerry Lawler being like, you can't kick out of a pile driver. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I feel you. I feel you, Jerry. Keep selling it, Jerry. Yeah. Brett continues with a leg drop and goes up top again. But HBK press slams him down to the mat and nails a hurricanrana for a two count. Sean looks to hit some sweet chin music, but the hitman avoids, so Michaels hits a backbreaker for a near fall. HBK with a back elbow, allowing Sean to tune the band up again. But Hart rolls to the floor this time to avoid and regroup, only for Michaels to fly off the top rope with a crossbody out to the concrete. Yeah, I f- when he avoids that that super kick, the fans booed Brett, and I d- did not did not appreciate it. They roll back into the ring with HBK coming off the top rope with another crossbody, only for Brett to use the momentum to roll on top for a two count. The hitman then tries for a backslide, which Sean counters into a small package for a near fall, followed by a northern light suplex. For a two count. Now 25 minutes remain as Michaels locks on a sleeper, with Hart continuously trying to escape, only for HBK to counter somehow to put it right back on. Sean finally tosses Brett to a corner and charges in, but he's back body dropped over the ring post and to the floor. Big ol' bump. My god. I had to I rewound that one a couple times and was like, you... It's a big boy bump for a big boy paycheck. Yes. The hitman goes out to ram Michael's back into the ring post. Before heading back into the ring to continue to work over the back with forearms, whips to the corner, a second rope elbow, and a backbreaker as we reach the 20-minute mark. I know. I figured we'd get more, at least one fall before the 20-minute mark. But hey, we got to make both these guys strong. Neck and neck, baby. Hart keeps up the attack with a leg drop, boots to the back, another toss to the corner where HBK does his version of the flare flip, allowing Brett to climb up for a super back suplex for a near fall. Hitman locks on a camel clutch, but Sean makes it to his feet to nail a sunset flip for a two count. Now Michaels is struggling to even stand because of the hurt back when Hart sets HBK up on the top rope. But Sean's able to shove away Brett and go for a double axe handle, only for the hitman to nail him in the gut on his way down. We get a Russian leg sweep for a near fall, a turnbuckle smash, and another flare flip that sends Michaels over to the over the ropes, landing on Jose Lothario. Not 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 old Jose. No way, man. Hart follows out and tosses HBK into the still steps. That also catches Lothario, sending him into the guardrail. I see it was around here that I started getting some heel vibes from Brett because it was like he's already thrown Sean over the post onto 
Jose, and now he's thrown Sean into Jose, and just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Just I mean, yeah, Brett. We do know that Brett will when it when he's uh, up against the ropes, he will do whatever it takes to win, and he lets you know that. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense that uh, you got to do it uh, in this sixty-man match, sixty-minute man match. I'm glad it's not a sixty-man match. I don't want to watch a sixty-man match. At least not tonight. <laughs> I never. I don't think I ever want to see that. Yeah. Remember three rings, mm-hmm. three yeah, giants. Absolutely. <laughs> they head back into the ring with 15 minutes remaining, where Brett nails a belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. He goes for a vertical suplex, only for Sean to float over and transition into an Okada roll for a near fall. The kickout sends Michael stumbling to the floor, so the hitman decides to fly through the ropes with a tope suicida before rolling back into the ring thinking he will get a decision by countout. But HBK makes it back in at the last second. A little bit more, a little more heely stuff from Brett by, you know, not calling him out and rolling him in, by just hoping for the countout. Hart goes to bring Sean in the hard way, only for Michaels to float over and the two men fight over a waistlock that ends with Brett delivering a bridging German for a two count. The two were trading strikes, with both of them being exhausted. But the hitman gains the advantage with another camel clutch, as we are at the 10-minute mark. HBK makes it to his feet, and he begins to fire up with elbows. But both men hit clotheslines for a double KO. Bum, bum, bum. More traded strikes, when Hart sets Sean on the top rope again for a superplex followed by an attempt at locking on the sharpshooter, which Michael blocks and kicks away Brett. The hitman attempts it again, only for HBK to momentarily block again. So Hart turns him over into a single leg crab. Settle for the crab. Sean is able to make the ropes to break the hold. With five minutes remaining, Brett nails a backbreaker. Goes for the second rope elbow drop, only for Michaels to get his boots up into the hitman's chin, allowing him to fight back with a drop kick, forearms, and whipping heart sternum first into the corner. HBK with a back elbow and a body slam before coming off the top with a double axe handle for a two count with three minutes remaining. Oh my gosh. Sean hits a snap suplex and comes off top with an elbow drop for a near fall followed by a gut-wrench powerbomb with two minutes remaining. Michaels heads up top again, coming off this time with a moonsault for a two-count, before leaping off the second rope with a hurricanrana for a two-count. Another body slam from the Heartbreak Kid, and he looks to go up top again, but he struggles on his way up with one minute remaining. Sean tries for a... Missile drop kick, but Brett catches him and applies the sharpshooter with 37 seconds left. But Michaels doesn't give up, Damn right and the time expires. So the ref hands the hitman the belt, and he begins to walk to the back. But Gorilla Monsoon makes his way into the ring to order the match to continue with sudden death overtime rules i know i was like i was like i can't believe wrestlemania it's a 60 minute match it doesn't end i was like oh 
can't have that. Can't have can't have that, and I'm glad they can't have that. And it just adds a little bit more. We're like, these guys are these guys are too good. They want it too bad. Hart doesn't understand why, but he reluctantly returns and goes right back to work on the Heartbreak Kid's back. A back body drop and a backbreaker by Brett, whipping Sean to the corner, only for Michaels to leap up and over a charging hitman, nailing sweet chin music, but he's too exhausted to make a cover. They both make it back to their feet where HBK delivers another super kick for the pin and, and the win. win. And new! And the boyhood dream has come true. Fireworks, flowers, champagne bottles popping. The ref goes to give the belt to Sean, but he would say to Hebner, <laughs> tell Hart to get the fuck out of my ring. <laughs> Which... Michael's denied for years, but he finally admitted to. And once Brett has gotten up and is leaving, HBK will takes the belt and stares at it. And he stands and Hebner raises his arm before trying to help him put it around his waist. But Earl's struggling with it a little bit, so Sean just shoves him away and tells him to get the fuck out. And Michael celebrates in the ring. And he's our baby face. <laughs> yeah, real life heel. Michael then cel- Michaels then celebrates in the ring before Lothario joins him to give him a hug. He says, get the fuck out of the ring. HBK then leaps out of the ring to shake hands with the Hart Clan <laughs> while we see Blade sing Sexy Boy. <laughs> it's a catchy tune. Awesome. But I mean, God, his dad must have, that must have made his heart sink into his little, into his big toe. And then Vince says his goodbyes before going to a highlight reel from the evening. Before fading to black. So I ask you gentlemen. What are your overall thoughts. Of Wrestlemania 12. Hey incredibly uh, watchable show. Mm-hmm. I mean. Epic last match. It's wrestling. It's uh. It is not WWE. It is. It is capital W. Wrestling. It's done by. Two of the best to do it. That's right. Is that all you're saying? Okay. I mean, I don't know. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't help but agree. It holds up still today as it was when it was new. Great show from start to finish. It's got its, you know, warrior funny match. moments. But it's, it's got its, yeah, it's got its warrior moment. It's got its funny moments. It's got its insanity moments with Piper and Gold Dust. And then it has the pull at your heartstrings, keep you on the edge of your seat with Brett and Sean. Must watch television if you uh, are or a wrestling, wrestling fan yeah. or want to know what a good wrestling show should feel like. This is the one. Yeah, it does have a little bit of everything, and yeah, that the way in the, a good way, in a yes. good way, a little, yes, in a good way. Sometimes that's sometimes that's not always good, but it's got covers all of the correct bases. Yeah, it sets you up for that disappointment at the end when there's no winner, but then. Gorilla comes down and is like, no, we're not having this. We got to. Uh, Which was restart. technically set up by Piper yes. at the in your house, basically saying there will be a winner. Yeah, you know? I love this show. It's very easy to watch. I think it is the best WrestleMania we've watched so far. As far as top to bottom, like there's not, you can't call the Warrior match 
fat because it's so quick. Yeah. So it's like, oh. I, I mean, it, it is, it's not, it's an extended squash, yes, but there's, Triple H still gets his stuff in. He mm-hmm. does, yeah. It serves I mean, as there's, a... the, there's the goofiness of Piper and Goldust, which I thought, I mean, especially the first half in the back lot was right. really good. The stuff in the ring probably was the weakest part of the entire show. But it's but it's not it's not bad by any means. No, no. But the other matches on there on the show is a capital W wrestling match. This is a just entirely something you do not expect to see from WWF. Yeah, a, it's, it's a wrestling a show. A wrestling yeah. show. Yes. It's not sports entertainment. It's a wrestling show. And uh, give it up with to... some entertainment aspects to it. Yeah, give it up to Diesel and Taker for, um, on paper, that sounding laborious. And then the match being I, good. I think it's literally both my favorite matches of both of them. Yeah, I think because we've said we've seen a lot of Diesel uh, in the last year or so. And uh, I would agree that this is probably the best I mean, match the, that he's had. The only one, only person that they may have had a better match with is right. Bret Hart. Yeah. Yeah, and this is one of those things, too, where it's like, well, both of these guys are big, and, like, Undertaker, it's built into his gimmick that he doesn't move fast, and fucking old Kevin Nash, Big Daddy Cool, uh, is not, he's not uh, lightning fast either, so just, like, they, they match each other's pace and size, and it's done better than a lot of guys that are of equal size would be able to pull off. And, I mean, the first match, the six-man... Like there is some very good psychology, yeah, in that match. Jim, Jim James is, is there. Owens there to put that thing together. Snakes there. <laughs> Snakes there to put it together. And it's like, oh yeah, this is how a six man match should look. Exactly. It's not mayhem. And then whenever there is mayhem, it's justified by heels and uh, distractions and things that are not so wacky that it's just like, okay, agreed. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Ultimate Warrior's really cool pyro that's the shape of his makeup. It's like, damn, they really are going in on... Uh, they're just gonna have him squash some people to the top, see if he can keep his fucking shit together. Uh, which I don't want to see, obviously. But he still gets a huge reaction, so it is what it is. They're doing... Something that feels probably like a good idea at the time. Oh, yeah. The kid in me always gets excited anytime I hear the Warriors music play, especially at Mania, because we only got a few of them before he warriored up and completely and stopped being the the person I wanted to hang posters of on my wall. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Chili McFreeze finally got his name. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with the Warrior, though, is, like, that's not a guy that, that's a guy you steal a pay-per-view with, not a guy that you keep at the top forever. He's not Hulk Hogan. No. Whatever you want to say about Hulk Hogan, love him or hate him, he's hate him. still he's it still made sense for a long time and probably went on too long, but like he's not but Ultimate Warrior is stealing a pay-per-view. Hulk Hogan's not stealing a pay-per-view. Yeah. I I agree there. I mean, I, Hogan I think, has I think stolen both, a pay-per-view. Cuz I mean, well as we'll see from Warrior doesn't last very long because no. he pretty much gets upset that he's not being pushed to the very top. Yeah. The thing with Hogan and Warrior, like if they had realized that they could do more for the business 
by continuing to be a upper card guy. Yeah, later into their career. And helping build people. Because this is, as we'll see, and it begins on this show with Jake. Jake is helping build people. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Jake... I mean, Jake is now back in the WWF. He's on the booking committee at this point. He, so he's helping out in that room. And, spoiler alert, he takes a lot of pins. Oh, yeah. But he takes a lot of pins to up-and-comers exactly. over the next few months to help build the future. The, the future. Like As wrestling... But if he had come... if Just using the parallel between what Warrior's doing and what Jake's doing, like... Jake could have come in and just been like, I'm fucking Jake the Snake Roberts, put me in the IC belt, you know, picture right now instead of, you know, building these other characters up. Yeah, but like Jake it, is older than Warrior and uh, so and but still I know I know what you mean. But you know what I mean. Yeah. But like Warrior, like you have your Triple H who is an up and comer. And you basically just do an extended squash on him. Yeah. It's not good for yeah. him, although... Built him up for a year without taking a pin, this and is... then you just... Which... Well, this is also it, it, his I mean, like, punishment. Obviously, obviously... From the click no, thing. Not, that hasn't that happened yet? still hadn't happened yet. Oh, for some reason, I thought we had talked about that already. Nah. But I guess it hasn't happened Punishment yet. comes at the... King, King of the Ring. ring. Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously us knowing 26 years down the line... This doesn't really affect Triple H nah. a whole lot. He ends up okay. <laughs> he, he's do, he's doing okay. <laughs> yeah. But when if you were in that in that moment thinking about what happened, you're like you've built this guy up for an entire year, and then all of a sudden you just have this old star who hadn't been around in four, four, four years. years. Yep. Come in and do an extended squash on him. After he kicked out of the pedigree, they didn't even have to do the pedigree thing, man. That was a little brutal. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he could have just got the win over him yeah. quickly. Doesn't have to do, take the pedigree and then fucking back pop up faster down. than the goddamn Undertaker. What else? You've got the debut of Sable, which, you know, I don't think anybody expected her to become what she became after this debut. Definitely but... not. I mean, when she came out, most people were just looking at her as another one of Triple H's. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, well, he's going to see the centerfold. Yeah, exactly. she's going to show up before like <laughs> Marrow, and then I was like, oh well, it works in the storyline that they created. But at first, I was like, poor guy, yeah. <laughs> which um, we can still say, but you know. What else? So, question I have: mm-hmm. the sixty-minute match, because I've seen a lot of differing opinions online about it. Like, a lot of people are like, the last 10 minutes of the match is one of the best, would be considered one of the best matches of all time. But it's, it's very, when you take in yeah. all 65 minutes of it or so, what, what, are y'all, what is y'all opinion? It's great. It builds. You start, that's how wrestling works. You start with, like, mat work and holds. Shit builds up to the point where people are doing... Power moves to each other. I mean, you, even, out of you even mentioned that there what that there wasn't any pins or there wasn't any like it was zero zero at the end of sixty minutes. Yeah, and you you said you were even surprised I at was, one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 
yeah, that's that was my issue with it back in the day was it just it was good. I mean, it still is good, but it needed those little you wanted it to explosions be like two, three or sooner, or end on two, know, two. Not necessarily have somebody get a pin, but have some more believable pin attempts earlier on in the match instead of having it be rapid fire towards the end. I wonder if it was maybe a thing where Brett was like, if this asshole is going to pin me, he's only fucking doing it one time. Mm-hmm. It could be something That's like that. Probably very much. But it's like, he's like, yo, it's like <laughs> one thing where it's like, hey, if we go 2-2 two, two and you're putting him over, like, that's me taking three pins. How about fucking one? Which, if I was Bret Hart, I wouldn't want to be pinned by this dickhead either. Uh, so, it's understandable. But, yeah, for to heighten everything, someone taking three pins would have maybe made it more exciting leading up to... Yeah, that that sixty-minute mark. I'm perfectly fine with there not being any pins before totally. the end, but I just wish there would have been some more early on believable close calls. Yeah, believable is the right way. Pull to my it. ass up to the edge of the seat again. Yeah, some yeah maybe some higher yeah because there's like some close calls but they don't really milk the like two point nine five kick out. Yeah, I mean the first thirty minutes or so is all complete build up. Mm-hmm. Once it hits the thirty minute mark, that's when yeah. like, the near falls start happening, which is how it should more be. more often. So, would you guys put it on the short list? Oh, fuck yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. Like that, I was um, that towards the end, it feels very much like a the two counts back to back, big power moves feels very like New Japan, it's like some G one or G one final or yeah. a. Um, like even kind of the way that a lot of the current heavyweight title matches are, where yeah. it's just like, all right, we know it's coming, but like, how's it, how's it gonna, how's it gonna happen? Like, who's gonna make the mistake? Yeah, Which I, is, I love that shit. I definitely shortlist it just because, I mean, aside from it being a a masterpiece of storytelling and ring work, I mean, and they they did a lot to keep the audience from getting bored. Yeah, there wasn't any moment that I can remember during the show where the audience seems to get too distracted. And I mean, I want to say this like taking the over for... fourth, fourth or fifth time I've probably watched that match in total, and I never get bored with the match, mm-hmm. even though it's a 60-minute, like, a lot of it's... They're not doing a whole lot, but I never get bored it's, watching it's also It's also well-paced. Like, there's the, the ref bump and the super kick to... Um, the timekeeper are all and the Lothario bumps and stuff like that. They're all put paced in, put, well. they're all paced in the right spot that kind to kind of cover for nobody getting, taking a pin where those are the exciting moments as opposed to like somebody actually making the pin. So they kind of was smart to, you know, without those, which you got to have that even in a 60 minute match, whether or not somebody takes a fall, but they were, they were properly sprinkled. I felt like, Plus, I love it when a match starts. Limb work was great, uh, but I love it when a match starts with people doing some mat wrestling, some catch wrestling. Absolutely. Build it up. How about most disappointing? For me, it was like, oh, fuck. I gotta have, I'm going to have to deal with Warrior because I know it's not for a really long time, but I'm just like, ah. Oh. So it doesn't even amount to anything, and I never found him interesting because I was not like watching it as a kid, even though I knew he was as a kid. I'd catch the Saturday morning, uh, like, recap shows and stuff like that. Smash stars. Yeah, just like Yokozuna. Like, every little kid knew who Yokozuna was, whether they watched wrestling or not. Same with Ultimate Warrior. 
Uh, but I never, you know, I, I think you had to be there to be a Warrior fan. Nobody's a Warrior fan, you know, that's getting into the product after Warrior, even after his comeback. It's like, you had to see him the first time. <laughs> Unless your brother or, brother or friend told you about him, like, ah, he's awesome. I'd say for me, not that it's, it, you know, really disappointing, because there's not a whole lot of disappointment on this show, but just the realization that Jake the Snake is not who he once was, and he has more of that old man Jake appeal to him now instead of the mastermind manipulator, you know, just visibly looking at him. It's more of a, aww. They got, but he's, he's, they, they threw a shirt on him, uh, but he is still over the ddt still gets chance and it gets teased really well and intelligently and like he still gets a pop and people are still there for him either way but it doesn't feel like charity from the fans it feels like that they're like actually you know excited the bronco footage yeah it's a little wet it's that's it's pretty hacky leading into then the back half of the Piper Gold Dust, which, like I said earlier, is probably the the least appealing part of this show because it's it's just not really that good. No, they're just tearing no. clothes off each other, and it's it's played almost more for laughs. It is. Yeah. It didn't it's just to humiliate him and for Piper to you know. But I guess. Wrong. I mean, if I mean, it, but it kind of his... it kind of furthers the Gold Dust character a little bit more as well. Yeah. Even though it's played for laughs. Yeah. But I guess there's only so much they could do if they recorded the opening part of it a few days before and Piper broke his hand That's in the true. process. So That is true. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about yeah. uh, that. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, he's not going to lay into him with, uh, <laughs> with right hands. 1980s, Hot Rod probably would have, but 1996, not so much. Yeah, it probably cleaned <laughs> up his act a little bit. Anything else disappointing for you guys? I mean, there's not very many matches, but there's also not very many stars. There's, so it's a good year to do a 60-minute match. Because no it's like, Euchre. who? No what? No Euchre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is a... I thought about that. I was like, this is a good year for the last match to be 60 minutes. Because, like, who are we missing here that we, like, really fucking... Like, other it's like Ray- a bit... Other than Razor and 1-2-3, there's not really anybody that's just... Yeah. Ring, yeah. ring the bell. For no, me. not at all. I mean, there's no... No tag the, the tag team championship match was on the free for all as well, but the tag team tournament it was the Godwins and the Body Donnas. Like, do we really yeah. need them on the main card? Sounds like in your house. Yeah, that's an in your house match if I ever heard one. Yeah. I think it will be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing that I'm. Kind I guess it's uh, Sunny not being on the show, but it's like the free for all. She's with the body donors, but we don't yeah, need body donors. You figure they would have had her pop up somewhere on the show just because she's Sunny. The, the hot girl yeah. of the moment. You can say that twice. One of the things that girl of the moment. <laughs> I'm uh, disappointed. Um, Shawn Michaels' attitude after yeah. after the match. We all know he was a fucking cocksucker. I mean, we do. But not just to like anything wrong with that. No, no. I mean it in a derogatory way. Dickhead, yeah. there we go. There we go. But just like you just have you have your moment and instead of like reveling in your moment, you're get him the fuck out of you're my ring. Get the fuck spewing out. Spewing hate and dislike to 
towards other people. Yeah, like, it dude, was I, just want, my, I want my moment. It's just bratty. It's just a bratty, shitty thing to do. Yeah, yeah. it it maybe. So going into my next question, performer of the night, because of that, it makes me want to take notch him down just a little bit and <laughs> yeah. give it to Brett. That's like, uh, have you ever been like seen a little kid um, at like a birthday party or a Christmas or something like that where they like get a gift and they're like, that's not the one I wanted and like throw a fit and you're like, oh, this hurts my heart so much to see. Super this sweet is 16, but I didn't want it yeah. to be wine. Yeah, it's just so, it's so gross and it's just like, my God, that sucks. And that's what he's doing, which is like something everybody's seen and everybody hates. Mm-hmm. Yep. It just like, it gives you douche chills. You're like, <laughs> Some Frank, Frank McFrost. <laughs> Some Frank McFrost, for sure. Right up my spine. <sighs> but hey, you know, it seems like he turned out to be okay in the long run. Bang seems like Frost he... and Booger Red. We <laughs> <and he> missed out. <laughs> Anything surprising on the show? I mean, obviously, first Stone Cold that yep. we've seen. Yep. First Sable we've seen. Sable coming out with uh, Mark Marrow. Mm-hmm. The Wild. I don't Man. know if I don't know if that's a good surprise on the Marrow because we know. Because those people who make their debuts on uh, Mania, I mean, I don't know if that was necessarily his debut. It was Marrow's debut. Austin had started using Stone Cold a couple weeks earlier on Raw. It was Sable's debut as well. Yeah. Because it was the first time. Worked out well for her. Yeah, we kind of gave the Marrow, Marrow. I said it like they did on the show. You're listening to Pettengill there, bro. (laughs) You can call me Todd. But the, we gave him. Don't call me out. We gave him the the, the, the eulogy uh, in his last WCW match. So we're like, we know it's not going to work, and we sang our praises of what we thought he did in WCW, which we think that he did a lot for those WCW pay-per-views, especially, you know, he was the king of, like, the first match for, for a long time, and to, to good effect. So, you know, we liked you, Johnny. Yeah. Thank you, Johnny. We hope you're doing well, Mero. Don't care for you, Mark. <laughs> Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Kidoke. This week, the category is the numbers game. The numbers game. <laughs> so you get five points for a correct answer. Huh? It's not a number. Okay. It's a numbers game, but it's not a number. The question is, which wrestler had the most wins on the shows we covered? Mm. Three and four, 93 and 94? 93 and 94. I know, I'm not willing to do a wild guess. Okay. Do you guys want to go to multiple choice? I would love yes, to go to multiple choice. I would choice. love some multiples. Okay. Your options, and you'll get three points if you get this one right. Your options are Bret Hart... Dustin Rhodes, Ric Flair, or Sting? Eh, I will Michael? be choosing Brett the Hitman Hart. And I will be choosing Dustin. Oof. And both of you are incorrect. incorrect. Wow. Tell me it was Sting. It was Sting. Um, it was Sting. Yeah, that's funny because we just think about Sting never getting his due early on because of circumstance. And all forgetting the wins that he got. All along forgetting the, way. the wins he made along the way. <laughs> but I got a bonus question for you. Ooh, for two points. Me. 
How many wins did Sting have? Nine. That's a good guess. I'm going to go 13. Since it was Price's Right Rules, do you want to change your answer? No, I'll just keep it solid. I was going to ask that before I guessed. I should have said that before, sorry. It's fine, it's <laughs> fine. We play it fast and loose here. Shane gets the points, as it was 12. Ooh. That's cool. 13 was the first number that popped in my head, yeah. so I was going to just stick with it. Let's see, my first was... number was 11, and I thought, that seems like too many, so let's yeah. take it back a bit. Once you said 9, I was like, hmm, I mean, about how many shows did we watch? <laughs> they only do, you know... One pay-per-view a month. We got another bonus question for oh you. Oh my gosh, the hits just keep on coming. I'll give you one point <laughs> for the rest of the top five in wins. You might want to write those down. Well, I mean, I feel like you gave us a couple of the answers. Might have. Maybe. We'll go with that one. We'll go with that one. Okay. Just going to read them off? All right, Michael. Tell me what you got. Bret Hart, Dustin Rhodes, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, and Razor Ramon. Three points for you. Okay. <laughs> and Shane? I guess I didn't put a total of five. I just put four. We'll go with this one because it was in my head anyways. Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Two Cold Scorpio, Hawk, and Arm. Oof. Also three points. <laughs> what was the different one? So the rest of the top five was Dustin Rhodes, Two Cold Scorpio, Bret, Brian Nobbs, Jerry Sags, Ric Flair, and Vader. Okay. Mm, wow. I didn't even think about Two Cold Scorpion. <laughs> I was just thinking WCW and WWF. I forgot about ECW. Can't forget about the ECW. Right. I try to sometimes. There's too, there's too many. We watch too many of their shows. I, I curse them often. Yep. <laughs> Next week, Massacre on Queens Boulevard. Speaking of ECW... Can't forget that. Oh, what a massacre it shall be. But you said Queens Boulevard, so that leads me to believe we are not in Philly. That nope. is correct. Sitting down Ooh. in Queens eating refried beans. You guys like the Ramones? Sometimes. <laughs> it's a, uh, I like the Razor Ramones. <laughs> I, I bet there's a band that likes wrestling called the Razor Ramones that just does wrestling <laughs> themed Ramones sounding songs. If not, we can start it. That'd be and pretty I can, fun. I can sing you, with a toothpick yeah, in your mouth. You're tall, so you're definitely our Joey <laughs> Ramone. Uh, and I can uh, teach Matt how to play uh, Ramone songs on uh, bass, because that shit's easy. <laughs> Music from this week's show is WrestleMania Instrumental by Mike Stock and Pete Waterman. Mike Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And it's so corny. <laughs> Shawn Michaels won our main event, so we play Sexy Boy. Oh, oh my by, God! By Jimmy Hart and JJ McGuire. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, drink ideas, just stories that you want to share or any favorite matches that you uh, have on any of the shows that we've covered. Were you at WrestleMania 12? That'd be awesome if you were. Do you have an antidote? Did you get to see the end of the Hollywood backlot brawl? Did you see Huckster versus Nacho Man on the not-so-Titan Tron? Do you prefer Sable from WrestleMania 12 or from the Playboy years? Let us know. Slide into our DMs. I know the answer to that one. (laughs) The one where she's naked. (laughs) (laughs) But you can email us those at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, as long as it's still available. 
at Wrestling Histo X. That's Wrestling H I S T O X. Happy New Year. Ladies. We'll talk to you next year. Oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs>